pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so then, following Frank's request, let me just call your names. I, it's going to take me a little while always to associate names and faces, but Danny Cornell, Danny Cornell's not here. No, no. Not here. They, they tried to communicate with him. Okay. And Danny Castro is here, obviously. Hi, Dan. Okay. Uh, Dan Condon. Hi, Dan. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. hello. All I can think of is the three young men in the furnace, you know, the canticle of Daniel, right? But you're supposed to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, too many Daniels in the furnace. <laughs> All right. Going on. Uh, George, I see. All right. Uh, Dan Condon, Douglas, I see. Lucas, how are you? Very good. Okay. Uh, Dave, Dave Leno. Yes, here. Hi, Dave. Good evening. Okay. Bob Levy. Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, everybody gets it wrong. No. Okay, Bob, I don't see a picture on your screen. Right, because I, my cat, I, I need a camera for my computer. I got a cheap computer here. Gotcha. Not a problem. You okay. looks like Frank. I, I didn't do my hair today. You don't want to see me right okay. now. So, yeah, you could attend class naked and nobody will know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, Anthony? I'm here. Anthony, are you in some emergency room or what's the story? No, I'm still at work, so I'm, but I'm here. God bless you. And thank you for all, <laughs> thank you, for all you do. All right. Right? Okay. But tell the nurses and where it's in the... Uh, Paul? <laughs> Paul Reisman? Yeah. Hi, Paul. And Raphael, you are again. And Peter Tesoriero. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Stephen Astor and John Tremblay. Hi. How are you? Okay, so we are all missing except, all missing, all present except for Danny. So let's... Um, I spoke with, sorry. I spoke with uh, Daniel Escolastico and okay. he's, trying to, he's trying to log in now. Ah, good, okay. Um, I thought that I would begin with the little questionnaire that I sent so that I have an idea of your backgrounds, that I would answer it for you folk, right, so that you have a little bit of information about me. So my name is George Petula. This you might want to write down in case you don't have it already, okay? There he is, Denny. How are you? Yeah. Welcome. How are you? This is Scholastico. So my the email address that I you have been using with you guys so far is. George. Could everybody mute their mics except for Tinker George? Okay. Uh, Peter isn't yet. Peter, they're asking you to mute. Good. Okay. That seems to be everybody. Right? 
Doug, as our webmaster, please feel free to interrupt at any time with instructions for us. Okay. Um, so I was starting to say you might want to please write down these pieces of information. My diocesan email address is george.patula at archney, A-R-C-H-N-Y dot org. And I think most of the time to keep things official, I will be sending you the weekly readings, okay, through that one. But what I've noticed so far is it only lets me do three attachments at a time. If there were more, and another way for you to reach me is my home address, which is Dragon Slayer, D-R-A, G-O-N-S-L-A-Y-E-R. So that's all one word, all lowercase, followed by the digit four, five, ampersand at optonline.net. That's O P T. O-N-L-I-N-E, optonline.net. Let me repeat it. Dragonslayer45 at optonline.net. So if you have stuff coming to you from either of those addresses, okay, it's me. Clear? Okay. Um, let me also give you my home phone number. My home phone number is 9131. Okay. I'm giving you that because in case it should happen that maybe that there was something, the topic that I was talking about and you needed clarification or it wasn't clear to you and for whatever, and I'm going to say this would be unfortunate reason, you didn't feel free to raise it up within the group. Okay. I want you to all to feel free to call me, okay? So that besides teaching in a sense, I'm also available to tutor this material, even though it is not a, it's not a credit course for the seminary. Comprende? Okay. Make sense? Yes. Okay. okay. Everybody's happy with that much. Okay. Moving on. So I live here in Riverdale and what I sometimes call St. Hyphenitis Parish, St. Margaret of Cortona, and St. Gabriel. Uh, my wife's name is Deborah. Uh, we've been married 40 plus years. I have two daughters, Catherine, uh, who is, lives out in Bethlehem, PA, with my two grandchildren, one of whom is in college, 
and my grandson who is entering sophomore year of high school. We, we only speak English at home. Uh, so I went to high school at St. Joseph's Seraphic Seminary in Calicoon, New York, um, which has long since closed. My college was, a, the seminary still had, and we went for after four years of high school, continued with two years of junior college, then went off to Navishit, then went off to Rye Beach, New Hampshire, where we got our bachelor degrees in philosophy from St. Bonaventure University. So I have uh, that BA, and then I have a master from Manhattan College and another master's in, again, in religious studies from uh, the Seminaries Institute. Uh, uh, Greek, I've got two years of high school Greek and 12 credits of college Greek and Latin. I've got six years of that, like 30 college credits, too many. Uh, theoretically, I am retired. Okay, I was a I began teaching down at LaSalle Academy down on 2nd Street. So somebody here is from Most Holy Redeemer. All right, so around the block, right? They're on 2nd Avenue and 2nd Street before they moved up to St. George's. Um, so I was there for a year. And then I went to Mount St. Michael for 29 years. And then someone hired me to be an associate dean of the Institute. So I was there for four years then went to uh, where Frank is, Blessed Sacrament in New Rochelle. I was the principal for five years. I was the last of the grammar school principals and closing a school is an experience I wouldn't want to wish on my worst enemy. Then I was an assistant principal at Resurrection in Rye until I theoretically retired Okay, and the following year was ordained as a deacon. Um, and now pretty basically you know, daily mass, I help out at the Hebrew home for the aged. Um, I'm the Thursday on call guy at Gate of Heaven, certainly enough stuff to keep me busy. So that's my background. Just now three of you guys have already sent me yours. So Danny Condon and Lucas, and uh, Anthony, I've received all of yours. A couple of guys have said you, you, they have um, made it an attachment. So if you can find that easy to do, okay, uh, then send it to me as an attachment. And I just find it a little bit helpful okay, to know what people's background is and even a conversation starter okay, when we meet live at some future date. Amen? Make sense? Okay, moving on. So I had asked you to uh, read the beginning of the uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, but I want to talk about the uh, course description, which most of you have. Okay. And that really leads me to my, my next question. Maybe you could, maybe I'll do it by calling out names. The question 
on the floor is, were you an altar boy? Peter Tesoriero, were you an altar boy or an altar server? And what was the experience like? You got slapped by somebody or, okay, you felt no, close to God. It was not as a child, but as an adult, because through the holy name, uh, our pastor stopped using altar servants because uh, our school was closed. So as a holy name member, uh, as an adult, I was an altar servant, and I enjoy it. Okay. Uh, uh, Steve Morgante, I'm going across the top here now. No, I, I've not served as an altar server. Um, what I did do when my son became an altar server is I was um, I worked with the priest in training the altar okay. So even though I didn't have any experience, uh, my son was um, going through his training and Father McLafferty needed help and he was looking for a parent to um, work with him. So I volunteered my time and that's basically been my experience. Um, I really want to do more because I really just want to get comfortable. Exactly. Right, which is, again, the aim of some of this and where that you're going to be on public display and either... Mm -hmm. Everything that you do in the sanctuary, okay, the eyes of the assembly are upon you. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, quick little story. Uh, a couple of years ago, a lot of years ago, I was a weekend administrator at a nursing home, and I would arrange my lunch hour to be able to go to Sunday mass with my family right down the block. But one of the ladies upstairs, would you go to the eight o'clock mass? And when she would come back, I would ask her who had the mass, because then I would be able to figure out who I would have mass with at the 930. And this very lovely lady. And I said, well, who had your mass? Okay, and it was Father George, an Indian priest. And I said, oh, well, he's a nice guy. And she said, oh, no, I don't like him. Not at all. Right? And I said, what's the matter? Right? And she says, when he talks, he puts his finger at the side of his nose. Okay? Now, ever thereafter, I noticed that when he talked, he often did that. But that was a distracting mannerism that he might not have been conscious of. And... We all sometimes have those kind of things, and we never want to get in the way of assisting the community's prayer. Amen? Okay. Make sense? Yes. So uh, moving on. Uh, Lucas, were you a, an altar server, a.k.a. altar boy? I was, but it was so long ago. Okay. I can't even remember what we were doing back then. Okay. You I weren't drinking the wine, were you? What happened? You weren't drinking the wine when the priest wasn't around, were you? I I was too young. <laughs> I was drinking the wine at my house. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And Denny Castro, what about you? Were you an altar server? Uh, yes. Uh, I am actually the, the oldest altar server uh, from my parish. I started when I was 15 years old, and I'm still okay. active. Uh, I'm living a wonderful experience now because my vestment has changed from a black Cossack and a priest now, uh, which is Father Elder. He, he recommended that now because he wants to see a new change. But I still use my white arms 
you know once in a while as well depends on the depends on the uh uh the mass or or any any particular celebration i'm always so you started at 15 and it's never stopped it's never stopped always active george you're up next george are you on, on mute yes um i've actually been an ultra server since fourth grade okay we're still kicking at, at this age okay um, i've seen you know a lot of you know changes and you have to adapt to every every priest and actually even um you know even with the program now realizing you know when you assist a deacon that they kind of take over some of the roles of the of the altar server so okay did you ever do a 360 with a thurible when you were a kid? No. Okay. Stephen, you look I like you now just... I dropped the Easter water at a Easter vigil. Um, it was in a Waterford crystal vase, and I had to move it from one location to the other. And I ended up going off a step, and the water came up, and I was literally blessed with okay. tons of holy water. There are going to be lots of great opportunities for humility. I, <laughs> I, and uh, moving on, uh, Mr. Trumbly, I, you're showing up as Marge. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm on my wife's computer tonight. That, that's not a problem. Yeah, I like Thank George. Sharing. Like George pretty much my whole life. Um, my, one of my greatest disasters was the priest asked me to build a fire for Easter Vigil. And I almost burned, I could have burned the church down pretty much. The fire I built was like six feet high and the smoke all went sure. They never asked me to build a fire again after that. Actually, I found a way, a, a priest that I worked with, salt. Okay. And then he put alcohol on the salt. Okay, so that we didn't have logs and all kinds of things. Um, and you certainly didn't have pieces of newspaper flying out <laughs> all over. But that's for another day. Yeah. Okay, and Paul, what about yourself? Sorry, I was on mute there. Yes, I was an altar server, I think, from 6th grade till 12th grade. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, then back when I was an adult, uh, Near where my office was, the pastor asked me to serve a couple of mornings a week, 7 a.m. mass, which I did. So uh, loved it. Loved being an altar server. Okay. Danny Condon? Yes, I was an altar server from uh, fourth grade to, I guess, seventh grade. And uh, I can remember uh, St. Anthony's in Nanuet. They had the big holy mass, uh, high mass with six candle holders. And it was quite something to be part of. It was really amazing. Okay. Dave, what about yourself? No, I was never an altar server. Never an altar server. Never. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, one of the goals of this course is to make you comfortable with that. Okay. So not only that you go in knowing what it is you're expected to do, okay, but feeling confident about how to do it. Okay. Right. Doug, webmaster. Yes, I was an altar server, and I had the privilege of watching all four of my children serve too. My favorite story is the first or second night of our training when I knew nothing about what to do. Um, one of the priests in the parish asked if there were any altar boys around and 
someone came over and thought we were all altar boys. So two of us were pulled out of the class to go serve mass. <laughs> the priest was a lovely gentleman, thank God. We had no idea what we were doing. <clears throat> it was in about third or fourth grade, I guess. Good. Okay, Danny, Cornell. Hey, how are you? Um, no, no, uh, I'm silver on the church on a different group, so no, the Monaguillo. Okay. You know, silver um, election uh, and different activity on the church. No, no, the silver. Okay. okay. Jay, probably, Danny, it would be best if you mute again, I think. Hello? Okay, Danny? Okay. Go back to mute. Okay, Rafael, next, next up. Okay. Rafael? Yes, I, 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 I was serving as an altar boy, uh, but that was a long time ago. Okay. Uh, with, my, with my former pastor, with the new pastor that, that we have now, I'm a Eucharist minister, but sometimes he need adults uh, uh, serving in, in the altar. And, and uh, every time that I'm available, uh, I'm willing to do it. You know, I'm doing it. What should I search Okay, Bob Levy. Levy. I I was never an altar server either. Okay. All right. Thanks. I mean, I, I, my parents always made sure we went to mass. I went to Catholic high school, but I knew I knew nothing of my faith. Okay. What about you, Anthony? So I was a public school kid. Um, never an altar server, although I went to CCD until fourth grade, and like everybody else. After that, I kind of sublimated. Um, I didn't, my, my primary goal, my primary reason for en entering the diaconate is uh, when I was at St. Joseph's with Father O'Halloran, he uh, tagged me to be uh, an altar server, a lector, and a Eucharist Eucharistic minister. And, um, you know, since then, I've been um, the head sacristan for six years an altar server for also six years, as well as a Eucharistic minister and a lector. Okay, thank you. Right. Has everybody had a chance? We haven't left anybody out, right? Yes. Okay. So where we're going to be deriving it from, okay, we're dealing with ritual, okay, and ritual is is a prescribed form of action. Every priest that I've ever served, not one of them is exactly the same as everybody else. But if we're all working off the same playbook, then the individual differences won't amount to such a great problem because I know what he's supposed to do next and he should know what I'm supposed to do next. So it's not a matter of making it up as you go along. In our Roman rite, this stuff has been laid out ahead of time, 
it, it's not as it's not as formalized as it once was. It's not as stiff as it once was. Okay. Under the former, if you will, the, the, the mass of Trent, that every gesture was carefully described. Example, the priest holding his hands up while he was reciting the Eucharistic prayer, that the fingers weren't supposed to go above his shoulder. They weren't supposed to extend beyond. In theory, at least, they told them that the, even the smallest rubric bound under pain of mortal sin, okay? That's the kind of stuff that, as you began to read Sacrosanctum Catulium, that they wanted to move away from. And yet at the same time, what we want to do is to preserve those ritualistic actions so that everybody knows what it is they're expected to do and understanding the whys of them okay, can, if you will, not let them fall by the wayside. So it's not just, just a question of what Father Jones or Bishop X wants to do, get that the liturgical books uh, the, for example, at the beginning of the Roman Missal, third edition. So again, don't buy this one. Right? This just happens to be, so I don't have to carry the big book around. Okay? But the general instruction of the Roman Missal is both going to explain the parts of the Mass as well as give definitions to when we say a bow, what do we mean by a bow? When we say uh, a bow of the body, what does that mean? All of that is pretty basically laid out in the general instruction, which is at the beginning of the Roman Missal. Amen? You all understand that part. There's another book that you probably don't have on your shelf, and quite frankly, you don't need to have. But this is the ceremonial of bishops. By the way, just as a point, because I'm not really used to Zoom, is this on your screen? Can you read it or is it backwards? It's fine. So you see ceremonial of bishops? Yes. It's not a too fat a book, okay? but it describes when a bishop, in other words, that between the second edition of the Missal, and the third edition of the Missal, that there were certain things that they didn't explain first time around. And so sometimes there are things that are defined in here that can sometimes be helpful, especially if okay, you're in the North Country and you've got one of the bishops in your parish, okay, then you're going to kind of need to know some of this stuff a little bit more facilely than some of the other brethren with. But what we'll be doing is you don't need either of those. As we go through each of our topics that you can see on that page, I will be typing up for you the appropriate material to that particular topic. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm liking the shaking of the heads. Okay. Because that's helpful to me that I'm getting it across. So that paragraph says what we're doing and says where we're getting it from. 
and then I gave you an additional text okay, that I suggested that you in fact buy, that it's going to be something that helps you understand the bigger picture. So this is Aidan Kavanaugh, Elements of Right. This is a book that I've had nigh on to forever. And then I wanted to make sure that okay, I saw it on Amazon and it looked different. This is the one that they sell on Amazon now. And I said to myself, is it a different edition? Did he make changes? Okay. And the only change is the color of the cover. Okay. So if you've got a priest friend, or this was already on your bookshelf, the old edition is fine. Okay. But if you need to buy one, okay, this is worth doing. And it's something that's probably worth rereading every two or three years. Amen? Okay. Now, because this is a non-credit course, okay, it's a practicum, I am not going to ask you for a book report. I'm not going to ask you for a reaction paper. Okay. I'm telling you, this will be good if you know this and understand it. And even if you ask me lots of questions about it, it will help your understanding of sacred liturgy. Okay? I haven't given you a bibliography per se, because this isn't a course on the Eucharist. Okay? But if some of you have massive amounts of time on your hand and you want a bibliography, you let me know and I will give you a number of what I have found, helpful books, um, but that way that you're not just messing around reading stuff that really won't be helpful to you. Okay? But for now, okay, we'll lay that aside. Everybody sees the list of courses and the dates. We'll be doing the sign of the cross two days after the solemnity of the Holy Cross. And you see on the 23rd of September, we'll have no meeting, okay? Now, if you guys want to get together, okay, for evening prayer, okay, that's fine. But in other words, that Frank and I will be out in Huntington, okay, with the a retreat for those to be ordained at the end of next month. Okay, so not going to stop the retreat, okay, for class. Okay, clear? Okay, you can pray for those guys in a special way on that evening. So we're going to talk about the sign of the cross. It sounds like a bit of hands, toes. Uh, uh, talking about hands, walking, bows, a variety of a bended knee, okay. standing and sitting. And then I'm looking at class number 10 in preparation for class number 10, which is the thurible, okay? So you can start looking in your own parish to see whether or not your parish has a, what I'm gonna call a three or four chain thurible or a single chain thurible, okay? But that's something that after that class, well, even for that class, you're going to want to, if at all possible, borrow it, unlighted, 
and bring it home with you so that we can talk about okay, the movement of it and I can actually see you doing it. That making sense, looking ahead? Uh, setting the altar, uh, for that particular class, I would ask that you bring with you okay, uh, from your parish and you'll bring it back, uh, Corporal and a Paul. I want to talk about those as helpful things and um, how to fold them and unfold them so that it's very smooth and, again, not a distraction to the congregation. Any questions on that part stuff so far? Making I sense. guess the only thing I would I would mention is Steve Morgani and I are in the same parish. Okay. But whichever one of us gets there first, I guess, Steve. Oh, I bet you a big parish like yours probably has two. Okay. Actually, I think you may find a, a number of your parishes have a whole bunch of them. Okay, probably sitting in a closet someplace. Okay. All right. No questions on the, the outline. Okay. So each week, God willing, okay, and basically because this is a repeat course i've got these basically the notes for each of these done and so after our wednesday class sometime on thursday i would be sending you okay the next attachment for the next class so that you can read that ahead of time okay so be expecting things on thursdays unless you saw that i dropped dead on wednesday night if you flip that sheet over, Sacrosanctum Concilium, in other words, that I, I wouldn't buy it. In other words, that you can get it available for yourselves on, from the Vatican website. Okay. And then this hopefully will be interesting. Uh, we may not get to all of Sacros, the, the, the document tonight. Uh, we will finish it off next week, but I'd like you to have read this letter to Proba. I'm sorry, not the letter to Proba. Letter to Januarius, letter 54 of St. Augustine. So if you would sometime tomorrow or the day after, okay, try downloading that. And if any of you have a problem with that, let me know that if it's a problem and we'll try to find plan B to get you copies of it. It's not a huge long letter, okay? But it, it's Augustine talking about things on different churches doing different things, okay? General instruction again is also available. At the bottom of that sheet, I've given you two little excerpts one from the catechism and one from the germ talking about the importance of gestures that they represent better, that they have a sign value. And what we're going to try to be talking about is the importance of each of them okay, as a way of of bringing the congregation together. We've got all different people of different sizes and widths, okay? but when we act in unison, it is a very powerful experience. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a, what I'm going to call a shul, okay, of a group of students studying Talmud, and they're all talking out loud, and they're davening as they are reading the text, right? but they're all doing their individual thing. Okay? That's not what Christian worship is supposed to be. Okay? We may sometimes sing in parts, but the reality is that we need to be, okay, be the voice of Christ, and he speaks not with forked tongue, but with single tongue. Am I making myself clear on that? Okay. Um, the, what I gave you, that other sheet, was a one that was I downloaded from the, uh, the bishop's website. And that's another kind of a brief overview of each of the things that we'll be talking about in okay, when we get to specifics. Okay. Clear? All right. The sheet of paper that Frank gave me had, for most of you, not all of you, had your ages. And if this council document, was promulgated in 1963, okay, most of you were still in grammar school. Agreed? Okay. So I guess <clears throat> I want to say this gently. <clears throat> we have <clears throat> in our community what a former pastor of mine used to say, What our job is, is to present the mystery and being mysterious is not the same as conveying mystery. We can do mysterious easily, but conveying mystery is way more difficult. Does that idea make sense to you folk? Okay. There are folks who, okay, who think that they, certainly they weren't raised with the former mass, and they really don't understand how, okay, how the solemn high mass that they might attend nowadays, that was not the usual prayer experience of most of our people, okay? That there were, that people attended mass, they didn't pray mass. Does that make sense to you? They attended mass and there was no obligation to pray during mass. All you needed to do was to be there Maybe you remember some of, okay, the, 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 what I'm going to call the legalistic approach. If, if I'm late to Sunday Mass, if there is a, an obligation to attend Sunday Mass under pain of mortal sin, 
how much of that can I miss without being mortally sinful? Okay. We had these conversations. Okay. And you didn't need to be there for the opening song. You didn't need to be there for the gospel. That as long as you were inside the church by the beginning of the offertory, then you made it. And quite frankly, you could have left at the end of the priest's communion and you would have fulfilled your obligation, even though you might not have had a prayer experience at all. Am I making myself clear on that? that? That we could have a priest saying a mass at a side altar going from beginning to end. I clocked a priest once. He did the entire Mass in eight minutes. Okay? That's not prayer. Okay? If the, if the liturgy is, not only does it symbolize our unity, but in fact brings about our unity, it causes our unity, it confers the spirit that binds us all together, if I walk into a church and there is one mass going on on the main altar and there are 10 other masses going on at various side altars, okay? If here is a Jesus, there is a Jesus, 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 what does that say about the sacrament of unity? Am I making my, you know, in other words, that because we didn't have concelebration in the Western church, each priest did his individual, and that's why, like in St. Patrick's, you had all of those side altars, whereas the, the instructions currently are, if you're building a new church, how many altars should there be? Making sense? Okay. So I'm thinking, by the way, of the one who was late to Sunday Mass all the time was my mother. Okay, and she always went to the last mass. Okay, and she was frequently not there for the whole thing. There was also a a, and here I'm I am grossly grossly overgeneralizing. Okay, the first heresy in our church that we find it made reference to in the letters of John was not a denial of the divinity of Christ. The first heresy was docetism, which denied the humanity of Christ. Okay, I always find that interesting. And the church therefore was insistent upon that Jesus was truly God become flesh, that he really died on the cross, that it was a real death and a real burial, okay, emphasizing his humanity. Along comes Arias, and he's trying to make sense out of how does the infinite become finite. And so what I'm going to say is that he denies the full divinity of Christ, that he says he's a very special creature, 
but he's not equal to the Father. So there is a denial of the divinity. And so if the divinity is being denied, they're buying the humanity, then what's the natural thing to do is to, the part that they are denying is the part that you start emphasizing. Is this making sense to folk? And so from the fourth century, I'm going to say at least until the 12th century, it was Christ, Christ as the Pantocrator, God Almighty, God in his divinity, and that was so emphasized that people felt themselves unworthy. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about my Irish grandmother. Okay. Did I tell you the story when we did liturgical books? Okay. They talk about my Irish grandmother. When she retired from AT&T, she went to mass every morning. God bless her. Okay. But she only went to communion on Saturdays. On Saturdays, she would not go to her usual St. Thomas More, but she'd go down to the Franciscans on 82nd Street, St. Stephen of Hungary, and right before that 8 o'clock Mass, she would go to confession, and at that Mass, she would receive the Eucharist. The next day, Sunday, she would be back at Thomas More, but she didn't go to communion. If she had not been to confession right before that mass, she didn't think herself worthy. Now, I got to tell you, right, she could have a temper on her, which I only I rarely saw. But she was not a bank robber. She was not a murderer. Okay, she didn't stab anybody. Okay, there was no major reasons, if you will, from an external observer's point of view, why she shouldn't have been going to daily mass. But she was raised in a time when going to communion, you can sometimes see reference to this in some of the fictional books, spiritual fictional books, that nuns would only go to communion when they had the special permission of their confessors that people attended Mass and being a part of the sacrifice really didn't strike people as something that it was important. It was merely the, the observing of the miracle of the transubstantiation, that it was more the how God came to me through eyesight rather than God coming to me through this very earthy image of food and drink. Am I making myself clear on that? Okay. That a recognition, by the way, that for the overwhelming, we're now in the 21st century, the elevation at the mass, that didn't come in until the 1200s. It was because there was a fight going on in the University of Paris over when was the magic moment? Did the species change from bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ after you said both? Okay. This is my body and this is my blood. 
there were varying opinions. The Bishop of Paris then made the requirement that in his diocese that they would elevate okay, the host okay, as his coming down on the side that once the words were said, this is my body, that the bread had changed into the body of Christ. Am I making sense on that? Right? And so that when you sometimes will read in in uh, in books about, I'm thinking in, in the time of the Renaissance, of people going from church to church. Any of you remember the bell, the church bells ringing at the time of the consecration? Okay. Not the altar bells, but the steeple bells. Okay. Because people used to, okay, ah, remember that church? They would go racing to that one and then racing to that one because what they were getting out of Mass was the sight of the miracle, okay, rather than a participation in it, okay? So that all of which is a kind of a, a perhaps too long introduction, and I hope I didn't repeat too much material from things that we have talked about earlier, okay, when we were together on liturgical books, but there was a need for reform, okay, so that we could put our priorities in the proper places. Let me pause right here just to say, anybody have questions so far or comments to make? Okay. So, so Deacon, is that, what the church, is that what the church teaches now that when the host is elevated at that point, that's when it becomes a body plus bone divinity? Not when he elevates it, when the word is said. Hakes denim corpus meum, then it's Shazam. Okay, does that answer? So it doesn't have to be elevated, it's just that the word of institution, that's when it becomes. In the Roman rite, it does. Okay. Okay. Okay, so this is on the other extreme, and where the, in the Eastern churches, okay, it was the Epiclesis, uh, have you guys used that word before? Epiclesis is the calling of the Holy Spirit down upon the gifts. Okay? Yes. The Eastern Church said the moment of the change was not the words of Christ, this is my body, this is my blood, but asking the Spirit to come upon the gifts and transform them. So there were, the Latins were saying this, and the Eastern Rites were saying that. Probably it's closer to the whole Eucharistic prayer is important. Okay, But as a Westerner, it's kind of the reason why being a product of this time, Martin Luther, when he has the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the only thing that he pulls out of the Mass is the words of institution, because in his time, that was the most important part. Okay? Yes? Okay, I'm boring you. I can see it from your faces. Okay, let's move into... Right? Deacon? Yep. Are there two epiclesises or one with two parts? 
Okay, in the Roman Rite, currently there are two. That there is a consecratory epiclesis asking the Holy Spirit to come down and transform the gifts. And then after the consecration, in the, the new Eucharistic prayers, there is a second epiclesis asking the Holy Spirit to make it effective on the congregation. That, that the, the value of it can be uh, f not felt, but uh, received by the people. So you're right, and you've given me evidence that you've read the germ, okay? That there are, there are two, okay? Okay. So, is a rose by any other name? Does it smell as sweet? Okay. What do we call the mass, and where did that word come from? Anybody want to try? Who's probably the oldest in the class? Okay. Dan Condon. Dan Condon? Okay. I only look old, I'm very young. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the youngest. I'm okay. the youngest one. And in the old days, there was only, in the Roman Rite, was only one dismissal okay. formula. We now have four choices okay, for dismissing the congregation. And it was always said by the priest, ite missa est, three words. The word ite is a plural form of the word of a, the command to go. And in biblical terminology, that is a commissioning word. So God says to Isaiah, God says to Jeremiah, go tell my people. That's not just get the hell out of here. It is also means that I'm giving you the authority to speak in my name. So similarly in the New Testament, that Matthew okay, has Jesus saying at the end of his gospel, full power in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go you therefore... Okay, that go doesn't mean go back to Jerusalem. It means he is turning the power over to them. So that the dismissal was not just of get out of here, we're turning off the lights, we want to save electricity, and the janitor wants to lock the church. The ite was now you have received something from the Lord, ite. Now go bring it out there. Am I understanding that? And so missa est okay, literally means it has been sent. Okay. Well, what's been sent? What's the it? The it could be referring back to our prayer. Our prayer has gone up to the Father. Amen. But it can also mean the ecclesia, the church, the people of God have now been sent okay, to share God's word with the rest of humanity. What the council is doing is bringing to the forefront 
a word that was used more often in the Eastern Rites than it was used in the Latin Rite, and that's the word liturgy. We talked about this back two years ago, that it comes from two Greek words, the word for people and the word for work. So it's the people's work in the sense used as a secular term for a public service announcement. Make sense? And not announcement, but a public service, like a building a bridge or a repaving a park. Okay? And so it is something that we are doing for the benefit of the world. The Eastern Rites called their, their act of worship the divine liturgy. And so I think that what's going on here is that there is a change in the vocabulary in order that we can have a change in emphasis. I think the part that I would want to stress when we're talking about this as ritual is something that I had mentioned to you before, to think of liturgy analogously to a Japanese tea ceremony that it is formal. It isn't that we're uh, you know, taking off our socks and shoes and sitting around a campfire roasting marshmallows. It's formal, it's deliberate, it's serious. It's everything is pretty well defined because it, that there is a sense in trying to live in the moment that this is something that is important and worth doing. And that's one of the things that we want to get across by our actions and our demeanor at the altar. Amen? Okay. So what's liturgy? Liturgy is the mass. Liturgy is all the sacraments. Okay. Liturgy is the divine office. Okay. Liturgy is the corporate prayer of the church. So when liturgical acts are done, the entire church is praying, even if only one person is doing it. When you say the divine office, even though you're not in orders yet, okay, the whole church is praying, not only you praying for the whole church, but the whole church gets the benefit of what it is that you are doing, praying in Christ. When you say the rosary, that's good, that's prayer, it's personal prayer, but it's not liturgical prayer. Everybody understand the difference between corporate prayer and personal prayer. Okay, so we've been going for an hour. Should we take a 10-minute break here? Okay, people get up and stretch there. By the way, I should have said this. Obviously, as a teacher, I'm a person accustomed to walking around while I'm preaching. So this, this is not the best way to do a practicum. Um, but it's better than nothing, okay? And 
I, I don't think if you guys had put it to a vote, not that they had been asked you, if they said to you, let's put the whole formation process on hold for a year, no classes, no requirements, and we'll just pretend like 2020 didn't happen and we'll resume in 2021. This is better than putting the whole thing on hold. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Five years is a long Absolutely. time. Making, Absolutely. <laughs> making it six would be very difficult. Exactly. Okay. So I apologize for being one of those things that I hate watching on television, which is a talking head. This is but, fine. I'm sorry? This is fine. <laughs> right. Why don't you go take a 10-minute break, get up and walk around. Okay, stretch. And by the way, always feel free that if you needed to go to the bathroom in the middle of anything, okay, everybody's big boys now when we know that we've got some adult kidneys and they have their own rules. So do what you need to do okay, when you need to do it. Amen? See you at 8, 8.10. I find the divine office a test of faith that it's plowing through. Um, so it's not... There's a, but one is objectively better in the sense that it is the prayer that the church has taken as its own prayer, um, as opposed to the prayer of individual members. That, am I making sense? Yeah, I just um, just give me give me a quick example of individual and corporate. Okay, so uh, the divine office, corporate prayer. Divine okay. office, okay. Okay, so office of readings, um, morning prayer, evening prayer, okay. daytime prayer, Compline. Okay. Yep. Even, even though you as a single individual are saying it, you are saying it in Christ. Okay? Right. It, it is the prayer of the entire church. And the benefits of it extend to the entire church. When you say perhaps a, uh, oh, you say a rosary or a memorare or uh, the peace prayer of St. Francis, those may be very meaningful to you, but they are yours, not ours. Okay. That's awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you. Okay. Um, again, one of the things that uh, Pope John Paul I, I'm sorry, John Paul II, uh, was very insistent upon is that we don't, we don't want to denigrate the devotional lives of people. In other words, one may say from an objective point of view that uh, attending Mass is better than saying a decade of the rosary right but okay that's not doesn't mean that you are downplaying the rosary exactly okay <clears throat> but it does go to it does go to that there were when when we following the council and the new mass came in so we people now remember under the old ways 
that this priest rarely spoke out loud. Right. And he spoke to the wall. Right. And he spoke in Latin. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So yeah. they had most people better. Most of the grandmas had no idea of what was going on. So that's why they were doing the rosary while the priest was doing the mass. That's why they were doing the rosary. Right? <laughs> no, I know. I used to see that, and I used to. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and that that was a big mind, a change of a mindset that took a long time. In other words, you didn't want to say to those people, "Throw away your rosary," okay? <laughs> but you wanted to, you know. These prayers here, it's a, a homily that I, I gave recently to the grammar school children. I was talking about this gesture of the orons, which we'll spend a, a long time on later on. And I was saying to the children, when father has his hands like this, he's praying. Okay. Can you see my hands? Right. Yeah. Whenever you see father praying like this, those are the times when you need to be paying careful attention because he is speaking for all of us. And those are the times when you've got to really focus on what he's saying and make his words your prayer. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. okay. When he prays. Yeah. When we pray, he is our spokesperson. Right. It's one. It's one of the reasons why, by the way, that the deacon never prays like this. Okay. The priest, okay, can represent the entire congregation in that, in that priesthood kind of way. Am I making sense on that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Wow, that's um, awesome. Thank you. Now I, I got to throw in because we're now on on trivia. Okay. But there was a mistake right, in the rubrics that they decided not to undo. When, when we were kids under the old mass, the priest alone sang the Our Father. Right. Okay. And therefore, he was praying it on all of our behalf. He said the Our Father this way. Correct. Okay. Yep. When the rubrics changed and the Our Father became everybody's prayer, okay, then the priest should be praying the Lord's Prayer with hands folded because he's just one of us there. Correct. That's right. Okay. Yep. But they left it this way. Right. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Now I, okay, I get it. Okay. So it was a, they left the old way in, but technically it's really not the old way. But yeah, right. Um, was a when we when we were on retreat with the monks, the Benedictine monks, and, and they say the Our Father at the end of morning prayer and evening prayer, just like we do, but their rubrics are that the prior would sing the Our Father, not the congregate, not the group of monks, just the prior alone. Okay. With his hands in the Oran's position. Okay. When the prior is not a priest, 
the all of the community says the Lord's Prayer together. Okay, got it. Isn't that an interesting? Uh, yeah. The, the priest speaks for the entire congregation. Yeah, I had no idea that that was there was a such a subtle difference in the way you're holding your hands, which makes a big difference in what you're doing. Correct. Okay. okay. All right, gotcha. Thank you. Donata. John Tremblay. Where are you, John? Looks like he stepped out. Okay. Right, should we continue? Sure. All right, so I'm looking at the text of the Vatican document. Paragraph one lays out the themes of why we have a council. Okay, so it's not just talking about this individual topic, it's talking about the entire council. Why do you think that paragraph is in there? Venture a thought, anyone? Opening paragraph. Council has several aims in view to impart an ever-increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful, to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, those institutions which are subject to change, to foster union among all Christians, to strengthen whatever can help to call the whole of mankind into the household of the faith. Why is that paragraph in there? Doesn't mention liturgy at all. It applies to all of us, the whole the members of the church? Yeah. Okay. It's the first document that they published. So it's the first time in a sense that they're talking to, they've been talking for two years. Okay. What have you guys been doing? Right. Well, in other words, that, this is because it is the first document promulgated. It's saying to the world in general, these are our aims. Okay, comprende? But as it looks at those things, and it says, not looking at our community merely sociologically, okay, but it is liturgy which does those four things. And so liturgy is the best place for us to start, not with a definition of the church, not with a new dogma about the Blessed Mother as much as we love her, but rather about the divine liturgy, which both is a symbol, but it, because it's a sacrament, it affects what it signifies. Comprende? Okay. So that we see an example, why should there be an increase in vigor to the Christian life of the faithful? Because don't the bishops corporately have a command from Christ to feed my lambs, feed my sheep? Okay. And so there isn't it important that, okay, that they try always to do better? Don't they have a command from Christ 
that they are to teach them always to do what I have commanded you. In other words, that Christ does not tell us much about better. Christ doesn't use the word abortion. Christ doesn't use the word the exploration of outer space. Christ doesn't use the words about nuclear arms or disarmament. Okay? But because there are biblical principles of morality, that we have an authoritative teacher who can apply those principles to the circumstances that arise as human progress uh, makes its way towards the end time. And promote the union, promote union among all who believe in Christ. That is ecumenism something that okay, we just sit back and we say we're the one true church and screw them as long as they're on the outside, the hell with them? Okay. Or is it Christ that prayed on the night before he died that they all may be one? Okay. That they may be one as you and I, Father, are one, that they may be one in us? So that if we're going to talk about if the need for the world to believe that you sent me and we Christians can't agree on what the message of Christ is, okay, that's a problem, is it not? Okay. And so for working for unity, not only between East and West, but also okay, uh, with uh, the folks are, who are the products of the Reformation. Which leads me then to that last sentence in that first paragraph. This is just a, so that you can be the better informed. I think the word says here, the council particularly sees cogent reasons for undertaking the reform and promotion of the liturgy. Okay. Um, you guys have all been to the atonement friars up in Garrison. And when you were out the top floor on your way to the chapel, you saw the coat of arms for Pius X, Pio Decimo. Okay. He had the big lion there because he had been patriarch of Venice. Okay. And Pius X's motto was instaurare omnia in Christo, to restore all things in Christ or renew all things in Christ. Technically speaking, while you're going to see this word reform in your translations, the Latin never uses the word reform. Okay? Reformation has Protestant overtones. For those of you who have a little bit of philosophy, that Aristotelian form and manner to reform something is to change its what it was. And the church has no desire to change its being. It has its desire to restore it to its original purity or its original goodness. 
Am I making sense on that? John, you're looking like you have a question in mind or an observation. The, uh, but I mean, this started in, um, with this, with this, um, Council, but this for just a second for the sake of discussion. This is iced tea, people, and not whiskey. Okay, go ahead, John. But wasn't this an answer hey, to the the grumblings for reform that started a hundred years before? Right, this wasn't like out of the blue. Right. So that that there were the folks who there were the folks who, when change came. And change can sometimes be very uncomfortable, okay? Especially in things having to do with the, the world of the spiritual, okay? You just look at how even the Lutherans fight like crazy when it's time to update their hymnal, okay? But where I'm getting at is Trent called for a restoration of the liturgy, of the mass, okay? And it put it off. It said, that's something that we can't do as a group, okay? And so they handed it over to the Holy Father, right? But they never got around to it, okay? So we went for 400 years with, we're not sure what the best thing to do is, but we know that what we are doing isn't heretical, isn't teaching something wrong. It may not be the best way of communicating the divine mystery, but it's not wrong. Am I making sense on that? Okay. And so it was in the freezer. Okay. People often thought Okay, those who were not aware of things going on, okay, that it was Vatican II that made all of the changes. And that's just not, in fact, okay, Pius X, okay, made tremendous changes, okay. The fact that we think that it is going to mass, not like my grandmother, okay, who, if you will, as a child was pre-Pius X, and only went to communion right after confession. The fact that we think that it's okay to go to daily mass and receive communion every day, that's back from Pius X at the beginning of the 20th century. It's Pius X who reformed the breviary. Okay? It's Pius XII whose encyclicals on Mediator Dei and Mystici Corporis were in fact laid the if you will, theological foundations out of which these opening paragraphs flow. Okay. It's Pius Twelfth who, why did a lot of people not go to communion? Okay. Because you had to fast from the previous midnight. Okay. And most of you have no memory of that, right? Okay. Anybody born after? Let me figure out what this would be. How many of you, just by a show of hands, how many born after 1952? Okay. 56. So before your time, okay, if you had a glass of water at 1 a.m., Okay. That meant you didn't go to communion the next day. 
Okay, it was Pius the Twelfth who changed the rules. Okay, to three hours. Okay, and eventually it went to the one hour that we have currently. So those, uh, or the change again. Okay. Um, some of the grandmas, and I, I speak respectfully when I use that terminology, some of the grandmas miss the whole setting up on Holy Thursday and Good Friday of going from church to church okay, to visit the Blessed Sacrament. Okay. Why were those devotionals used? Because nobody attended the ceremonies of Holy Week. Holy Thursday Mass was celebrated like maybe seven or eight o'clock in the morning, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, okay? It wasn't until Pius XII that we put it to the nighttime. Am I making sense on this stuff, right? Or in a Polish parish that they used to bless the Easter breads on Holy Saturday morning, even though you couldn't eat it because it was still a fast day, but they blessed the Easter breads because early Saturday morning was the Easter vigil, not late Saturday night. Am I making sense on that? Okay. So all of those changes had been coming. Okay. Uh, things like even like the dialogue mass. Remember, it used to be uh, we're so used to now that the Lord be with you and everybody makes the response. Okay. Only the server was allowed to make responses. And there were things called in the 50s, maybe on a Saturday morning with special permission, there could be something that was called a dialogue mass. And a dialogue mass was a lot of people had missiles okay, that they brought from home with them and that they would make the Latin responses. All of those were rarities, okay? If you will, some of the reasons for reform, amen? Okay, so let me highlight some of the things that I, I would like to draw to your attention. Okay. Paragraph two, paragraph two, so page one, paragraph two, the text says that liturgy is the outstanding means by which, whereby the faithful express in their lives and manifest to others the mystery of Christ and the real nature of the true church. If you can put your finger there, you don't really have to put your finger, and jump ahead to paragraph 41. Paragraph 41. Do you see the words, the liturgical life of the diocese centered around the bishop, especially in his cathedral church, is the preeminent 
manifestation of the church. Gentlemen, we used to often be thinking of, from a legal point of view, what was, what was the minimum? I'm thinking of a Father Walter Czezak, a Jesuit priest sent into communist Russia, arrested, winding up living in the gulag for many years before he was released, and talking in his book about being able to keep a crust of bread and getting bribing a guard for a little thimble full of wine. And because he had, in those days, the only Roman Eucharistic prayer one memorized, okay, that he said mass in his cell okay, with that crust of bread and okay, that little bit of wine, that that was a true mass. Everybody agree with me? Okay. But that's when we think about mass, we shouldn't theologize on what the bare minimums are. We should theologize on where is it fully seen? Where is it at its best? Where is it at its most expressive of what it is? And so the church is at its best when a bishop, along with his concelebrating presbyters and his deacons, and with his people is celebrating mass in his cathedral that is church that should be our starting point not the minimum even though it was all still there at the same or in a definition in a theology book the church is an experience church is a reality not first and foremost the definition the definition doesn't make church. The church makes the church. Now, that, that sounds weird, but are folks following that? Okay. So, important point number one, the church is preeminent manifestation is in the liturgy, not in a book. Better. Because I'm not talking about scripture, not in a theology book. Next item that I would want to draw to your attention is down the bottom of that first page, paragraph four. And here is something that I think that many people don't quite understand. In fact, in Christianity, okay, that there are many churches that there are many churches that are in communion with the Bishop of Rome, that Roman Catholic is not the only way to be a Catholic. You all know that, correct? Okay. So the same way that when I had kids that I would teach in high school and I would say to them, fill out this little questionnaire for me, something like you had to do, and I would say to them, well, what's your religion? Because as a Catholic school, not all of the kids were Catholic. And I said, before you put pen to paper, 
I don't want to see the word Protestant because there's no such thing as Protestant. Are you Anglican? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Dutch Reformed? Are you this, that, or the other thing? Protestant is an umbrella term. What are you? And then I would say to the Catholics in the room, I don't want to see the word Catholic. Are you Roman Catholic? Are you Melkite Catholic? Are you Ukrainian Catholic? Are you Albanian Catholic? Are you Maronite Catholic? There are 22 different rites within the Catholic Church. And admittedly, we Romans are overwhelmingly the most numerous. Amen? But it's precisely the big guy that has to watch out for the younger guys because when we talk about unity, we are talking about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're not talking that everybody has to do lockstep okay, that exactly the same way. Within a right, yes, okay, but there is more, there are more than one rights within the church. Amen? Okay. Even even to say the Latin rite, okay? That there is the Ambrosian rite, which still exists. There is the Moses Arabic rite that still exists in one chapel in the Cathedral of Toledo. Okay? That these are just as legitimate ways of celebrating Mass and the sacraments as others. Okay? And in fact, that there is in 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 learning about them. There is, there comes a richness that you that there are other ways of doing things, and you find out why they're doing it their way. For example, uh, um, for us, viaticum is a an important use of the Eucharist, is it not? Okay, with you on the road for the dying. And I was with a priest of the Assyrian Church of the East. They're the folks who were in Iraq and Iran. Obviously, since the war, okay, they are in big trouble, and a lot of their people leaving that area. But this was before the war. And I remember saying to him, uh, well, I, I didn't see a tabernacle in your church. And he said, they don't reserve the Blessed Sacrament. And I said, well, what do you do if someone is dying? And he said, well, we go to them and we pray with them. I said, but you don't give them the Eucharist. And he said, oh, no, we don't reserve the Eucharist because we could never be sure that when you came back that it would still be there. Or they were living in... if you will, non-Christian environment, okay? And so they were regularly attacked long before the kind of stuff that we're seeing nowadays. Okay? Do you see why they're, okay? why what they, they came up with as a practice was related to their reality and understanding that can enrich all of our lives, amen? Right? All right, so 
uh, this coming year, when you guys were, okay, when you guys were in first year, okay, was uh, was Peter uh, Boutros Peter, okay, in the formation, or he had already been ordained by that time. He's a Maronite, okay, so that he is that that church is primarily in Lebanon, although many in here. And so they're, I think, entering into either first year or into the inquiry year. I think we're getting another two candidates for the diaconate coming to us from the Maronite right. Okay. And they'll be joining us. Right? So I find that enriching for all of us. And important, I think, that you people are aware of okay, that you don't have to be a Roman Catholic to be Catholic. You have to be Roman Catholic to love the Pope. Um, take a look at paragraph. Well, this is his, paragraph seven. I'm impressed that you've underlined things, Doug. Paragraph seven. You have a magnifying glass? Yeah. <laughs> he was holding it up as he was turning the page. In the sacrifice, Christ can be present in a variety of modes. I'm picking that word mode okay, carefully. We know that the ordained priest, when he is celebrating mass, he is, to use the, the catchphrase, he is acting in persona Christi. You've heard that phrase? Okay. He is the presence of Christ. Okay. But when he confects the Eucharist, that which used to be bread and wine is now also the body of Christ. When the word is proclaimed in the proclamation of the word, Christ is present. Those of you who this year will be preparing to be installed readers, okay? That whole installation is to underline that what you're doing is not just getting up and reading a list or reading out of a textbook, but that the blessing of the church is to underline that the role that you are exercising is Christ is speaking through you when you are proclaiming scripture to the congregation. Back when we were talking 
two years ago, I think I, I used the, the crazy example. I used to say to my students, when does mass begin? Okay. Did I try that line with you guys? Paul, did I, did I ask you guys that question? Okay, so let's throw that on the floor, okay? When does mass begin? It's a trick question, so you can't really be wrong, so don't. I'll guess the collect. You're gonna say the collect, and I'm gonna say nah before that. Intro introductory rites? Uh, which part of it? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Pass. Try another one. You're pl we're playing multiple guests here now, okay? I'm playing a game, so you can't be really wrong. Go ahead. When the priest enters the sanctuary? When the priest enters the sanctuary. Getting better. When he says the name of the Father, and Son, Holy Spirit? Nah, you're going the wrong direction. Getting colder. When the priest fasts? No. I'm going to propose... When the first person comes into the church. No, but you're close. When the second person comes into the church. Okay. You're happy, Peter. Okay. Can you guys see each other? Yes. Okay. Yes. If mass is if mass is making present Christ, then what we are doing in the divine liturgy is we are almost like a a nuclear expo explosion, bringing all of the various presences of Christ, all of the various modalities of Christ present. Okay, all together, so that he's present in the congregation, he's present in the presiding priest, he's present in the proclamation of the word, he is present in the, in the Eucharist. And so one of the things that we, I think, all need to be very careful of is, yes, Jesus in the Eucharist is the real true, physical, body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Okay? But that can function so much like a Klieg light that it winds up blinding us to the other ways in which Christ is present to us. Which I think is always one of the things that I think would have liked to have seen or have people be exposed to more often, okay, that in a place like Dunwoody, the choir stalls face each other and not the altar, okay? Because each of us is proclaiming Christ and each of us is listening to Christ. Christ is present, okay? In, we're going back to that Benedictine place that I was talking about before. They gather around the altar Okay. The tabernacle is in a separate room. Okay. Christ is present in the prayer of the church. Am I making sense of that? Okay. 
And so it's the recognition of the multiplicities of modalities okay, that I think is important for all of us. I think that uh, obviously to you know, deacons who were, have special interest in the works of charity by their very being okay, is at the same time to recognize that the church are not called to be social workers. That's not primarily our duty, but it's precisely because as our Mother Teresa saw so clearly that we could see Christ in those in need okay, because that's another place where Christ is and if we're so busy in adoring the Eucharist that we can't see him elsewhere, then we're kind of missing the point. Amen? Yeah. You can go. My question, based on what you're saying, wouldn't Mass begin when the priest came in then? If it, and he'd have to be there, just not two people in the church. Wouldn't it be the people and the priest? Well, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about it. Obviously, it was a trick question to try to get across the idea of the multiplicities, okay, that if it is a process, the process is beginning when that second person arrives. Okay, It's not fully what it is, okay, until all of the pieces are, are present, okay? So I would, the, the trick word there was begin. Okay, but you are right, and I, I don't want to deny that. That's why one always needs to be so careful okay, in uh, in defining terms, okay, without going uh, so much of what causes me to turn off news programs in the current day and age is because there are people who are using terms that they're not necessarily all defining or talking about in the same way. Okay, am I making sense of that? Okay. Do black lives matter? Absolutely, of course. But my saying that is my not necessarily agreeing with the organization which wants to change towards a socialistic style of government. You see what I mean by that? Okay. It's the danger of slogan thinking, and we need to be careful of that. Always important to define terms. All right, let me go to my next point. Okay. Uh, paragraph eight. Liturgy is a foretaste of the heavenly liturgy until he comes. Uh, without being truly into a, a liturgy course, because we're okay, this is only a kind of an introduction to get some of the basics across, it is my contention that liturgy is a very special kind of remembering. Liturgy breaks time and space okay have we talked about that before no liturgy breaks time and space one can both say okay 
that if you've been to Mass, you've been at Calvary. If you've been to Mass, you've witnessed the empty tomb. If you've been to Mass, you receive the same effects as being at the Last Supper. That when at a funeral Mass, when folks are trying to come to terms with their grief, okay, that the heavenly liturgy, the Eucharistic banquet in heaven, okay, this Mass is a part of that Mass. Okay? So it looks backward, not only looks, it, it participates in both the past and the future. It breaks time and space. It is the heavenly liturgy that this mass partakes of what's going on as described in those first several chapters of the book of Revelation. There's a heavenly liturgy going on, okay? and our mass is a part of that. Okay. Okay. If I just confused you all, because you're all looking confused. Okay. Time and space going on. All good. Probably the most important, and we'll probably probably quit here is in the next paragraph or maybe still be nine let me double check that liturgy is the summit and font of all the church's activity liturgy is the summit and paragraph 10 everybody see it liturgy is the summit toward which the activity of the church is directed. At the same time, it is the font from which all her power flows. The divine liturgy in all of its various aspects is the best thing we know how to do. All of our activity moves towards that as our best and the celebration of that is what empowers all of our other activities okay, in the name of Christ. So while this translation, at least the one that I got from the Vatican calls it summit and font, you'll often see as a catchphrase going for the alliteration source and summit from which everything comes to which everything is directed, ultimately to the glorification of the Father in the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You folks have been very, very, very patient. And what, I don't know that I could have sat there this long listening to me, um, but we'll say a few more things about the document next week. We'll start off there. I'll ask you if there are any special points that I didn't talk about that you would want to share with the group. 
and then we'll talk about this crazy letter that Augustine wrote okay, to Januarius in answer to his questions. Okay? Again, if you have problems finding that, okay, let me know. Okay? But I'm pretty sure that those instructions that I have on the back of the outline sheet should work. Amen? Okay? Yes, sir. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. As God has gathered us together and blessed our time together, so may he let us depart in peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. I hope they get a vaccine early. Yes. I hope okay. so, too. Amen. Okay. Amen. Good night, everyone. Good Fuck is it?